Welcome to episode 370 of We Don't Die Radio. I'm your host, Sandra Champlain, author of the international best-selling book called We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. As a reminder, our home base is wedontdie.com, where you can find hundreds of episodes about the afterlife and help through grief. There's also medium classes and demonstrations. And of course, we've got our free Sunday gathering, which is our online spiritual service. And it is complete with a free medium demonstration. Always a great way to start or end your week. On our show today, I'm excited to introduce you to Stephen Simon, who produced some films that you might know, Somewhere in Time with Christopher Reeve and Jane Seymour. What Dreams May Come with Robin Williams, All the Right Moves with Tom Cruise, and more. But why is he with us today? Well, he has written a book with his wife, Lauren, after she has transitioned. It is called What Dreams Have Come, Loving Through the Veil. There's so much more to say about this man, but we'll let him share it in his own words. Stephen, welcome to We Don't Die Radio. Hi, Sandra. I'm really honored to be with you. 370 of these? That's right. Now, that, that, is, that is an impressive oeuvre, as, uh, as we would say. Uh, I'm very honored to be with you. I look forward to the conversation. Oh, thanks so much. It really just shared, or it all started with me wanting to meet great people and hear afterlife stories. I didn't have the time to read so many books. And I thought, well, maybe someone would listen if we share these conversations. And it grew to, gosh, there's some episodes have 150,000 listeners or viewers. Oh, and for our listener right now, if you're listening on a podcast and you'd rather be viewing, this episode is also on YouTube. So this is a video interview. So just go to uh, YouTube, type in We Don't Die Radio 370, and you can see Stephen and I. So now, Stephen, on to you. You are on the West Coast, correct? Yes, just outside of Portland, Oregon. Oh, very nice. Very nice. I'm on the East Coast, just south of Boston, Massachusetts. Well, you know your story better than anyone. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about you, a little bit about your history, because I think it's pretty intriguing that you've been in the film business and then how you got to write your book and your belief in the afterlife. Sure. Um you know, when I look back now, I'm 75 now. So when I look back on my life, I realized that my entire life was designed to lead to right now. Wow. That everything that I have done in my life, in my professional and spiritual context, has been to lead to this. And here's why I say this. I had... My first spiritual experience when I was about five, almost six years old, my birth father had suddenly died. My mother remarried and we moved into a different house with my stepfather. And when we moved into that house, I began having visitations from what I told my mother and my stepfather was a man in my wall. And I would say to them, there's a man in my wall at night. And they would say, oh, are you scared? No, I'm not scared. I, he helps me. He's there. Well, I didn't know it then. And my parents were, were not on a spiritual path. I didn't know it then, but I knew it later. Of course, that was my dad. And he was there to comfort me. And that was my first exposure. When I started growing up, when I was a teenager, what movies did I like? It's a Wonderful Life, Lost Horizons, The Ghost and Mrs. Muir, you know, those kinds of films. And I grew up in the film industry. My dad was a writer and a producer and a studio head at Columbia in the 40s. He made movies with Abbott and Costello and Red Skelton was his best friend. And um, I remember on Sundays that uh, Marx Brothers and all these great comedians would show up at our house. And unfortunately, he suddenly passed away when I was five, but my mother then remarried another film producer. So I was brought into the film business in a very young way and into spirituality in a very young way. But I didn't want to get into the film business right away. And I did other things. I worked in politics. 
don't hold it against me, but I was a lawyer for a while. Okay. But I don't go to meetings anymore. I don't, you know, I, I I've gotten through that phase. You're funny. But I always knew I was going to get into the film industry. So one day I walked into a bookstore. I was right around my 30th birthday. I walked into a bookstore and the clerk there knew that I loved what we at that point called fantasy books. And he said, the great science fiction author, Richard Matheson has a new book. It's called Bid Time Return. You should read it. So I took it home. I read it. The minute I read it, I thought, that's it. I need to get into the film business because I need to make this movie. That movie became three years later, somewhere in time. I begged my way into a job with an incredible film producer named Ray Stark, who had done Funny Girl, Funny Lady, The Way We Were, um, uh, Annie. I mean, he was a prolific producer. And I begged my way into that job. The very first thing I did was find out who the agent was for Richard Matheson. I called, I set up a lunch, Richard and I met, became lifelong friends. He became my spiritual mentor as well. And I said, look, I have no clue how to produce a movie, Richard, but when I do, this is going to be my first movie. Will you just shake my hand and agree to let me do that? And he was so bemused by that. He said, of course. And we shook hands. And three years later, we made Somewhere in Time. While we were making Somewhere in Time, while we were prepping it, he gave me the galleys for his next book, which was What Dreams May Come. And I started working on that. That took me 20 years to do for a whole bunch of different reasons. But it was something I knew I had to do. I mean, this has been and continues to be for me a very purpose-driven life. Mm-hmm. Very purpose-driven life. I knew this is what I was meant to do. And then we formed the Spiritual Cinema Circle. My partner, Gay Hendricks, and I, and Gay and Katie Hendricks and I formed the Spiritual Cinema Circle, yes. which we operated for 16 years, spiritual films. Now, all of this leads to me meeting my interwoven soul, Lauren. Lauren and I had both gone through two very unsuccessful marriages before we met each other. We both had two biological kids and I have an adopted daughter, brought an adopted daughter into the mix. So there were five of them. The minute I saw Lauren, and we talk about this in the book, the minute I saw her, she turned around in a movie theater and I happened to see her and we both had the same reaction which we talked about later, not in the moment, which is, there she is. There he is. Oh my goodness. We did it. We met on the the night we were supposed to meet. And from that point forward, it was obvious that we were going to be together. We got married. It, It was an extraordinary time together. And I was the happiest I have ever been in my life. And I know that I will never reach that level again until we're reunited. On uh, January 3rd of 2018, I went to uh, do an early morning workout at the gym. I came home and I knew Lauren had been up later than me the night before she was watching television, watching a movie, and she was still asleep. It was around eight and she usually was not asleep that long, but I figured, well, she was up late. I waited and then I went up later and I walked in the room and our dog was lying very quiet next to her. It didn't even raise her head when I walked in the room. And I walked around the bed and I found that she was gone and had been gone for a while because when I touched her to try to do compressions, when I got 9-11 on the phone, 911 on the phone, she was cold. I, I knew she was gone. And it was later confirmed to me that she had been for several hours. She had an undiscovered heart arrhythmia and had just passed away peacefully uh, in her sleep, which is, I understand, the way most angels do transition when they transition. Needless to say, it devastated me. And um, I haven't been the same since. And I assume I probably never will be, but that's okay. Lauren and I had talked at length about this eventuality. We thought that it was going to be me because I was 17 years younger, uh, older than Lauren, which 
<laughs> I always, when I say that, I hear her saying to me now in my ear, and now it's 20, honey, on its way to 21. It's getting up there. You're getting older and older. Um, anyway, we thought it was going to be me. And we talked a lot about it. Uh, Lauren is a very spiritual being. Lauren is an intuitive herself and a therapist. She, we actually designed our afterlife experience together oh. one night. She asked me, she said, honey, I think we should do this. She had a sense of this, of what was coming. I know she did. Um, and we did. And I wrote it down and she said, put it in an envelope and seal it because I, I want you to have it to read later. And I, I didn't really pay a lot of attention to the specific, specificity of her words at that point. I want you to have it to read later, which I do now quite a lot. And we had already talked about being in touch. Well, for the first six weeks, when I was a complete and utter basket case, um, I, I remember one night I called my dear friend, Neil Donald Walsh, who wrote the Conversations with God books. And Neil has been a dear friend for 20 years. And I called Neil one night and I was so completely gone with grief. And I was sobbing and I, I couldn't talk for a while. And God bless Neil. He's the most patient person. And he just waited. He didn't say anything. He just waited. And finally, I got out barely. Neil, I'm out of my mind with grief. And he said, good. And I was like, what? And he said, good, Stephen, you got to be out of your mind now and in your heart, because that's where you're going to spend the rest of your life. Wow. And boy, did that ever make a difference. And Lauren, after six weeks, made her first contact, which I talk about, we talk about extensively in the book, and I'm not going to get into here, but she made her first contact. And I knew that we would always be together from that. And we have a lot of contact together. I started making notes. I am bringing this up to the present day. I won't take the whole hour, Sandra, I promise. Um, <laughs> I was making notes on my feelings on yellow pads of paper. And sometimes I couldn't even read them the next day because I'd, I'd been so upset when I wrote them. But I had several pads of paper fade out the end of September 2018. I went to Ashland, which is about four hours south of me here, to see uh, one of our daughters and have lunch, have dinner with Neil and his wife. And I have to say this for the six months before that, Ashland had received no rain and there was a drought going on down there. It's important. We had dinner in a restaurant where I was facing the front windows of the restaurant. And of course they said, how are you? And I said, you know, I'm, I'm making all these notes and Neil, you know, I'm beginning to feel like you must've, I'm thinking this is a book at that exact moment there was a huge lightning strike outside the restaurant, huge, and then thunder. And we went, and then Neil said, okay, and I know what the title has to be. What, Neil? It has to be What Dreams Have Come. Have come. Another lightning strike. You can like, bumps over here. Holy mackerel. We were definitely aware we weren't in Kansas anymore. Mm -hmm. I can tell you that. And I said, okay, well, then I... I, I guess I should start writing the book, another writing, uh, lightning strike. And then it hit me and I said, and I think Lauren and I are supposed to write this together. Another lightning strike. And then it was over. And then we spent the rest of the night going, how the heck did this happen? Right. Lauren and I started writing the book together then, and we published it last year. And that kind of brings you up to date. Well, first of all, wow. Wow. Um, I've read, I think, all of Neil Donald Walsh's books. And I remember seeing the movie that I think you produced. I produced and directed that movie. Yes. And it's great. And all I kept thinking when you were talking about the yellow legal pads is that's how he got his start with all these messages that have come through and all the questions he had and God's responses. And so that great great friend to have when you say yeah, that was an amazing experience making a movie about one of my dearest friends mm -hmm. who is still alive right 
not too many people get movies made about them when they're still alive. And we shot it in Ashland where he lived as a homeless man before he got these messages. That's right. And uh, it was an extraordinary thing. I mean, an extraordinary thing. Um, I'll tell you very quickly, we got a wonderful actor named Henry Cherney to play Neil. Mm -hmm. And um, Neil wanted to meet Henry. And I said, Henry, do you want to meet Neil? Because I didn't know if he wanted to or not. And I, and I said to him, you don't have to, you know, I don't want you to feel uncomfortable. And at that point I said to Henry, I haven't told Neil this yet, but I'm not going to let Neil be on the set while we're shooting because I don't want to distract you. And he said, well, I really do want to meet him. I'd like to meet him once. And I said, okay. And he said, we set up a meeting for the Ashland Springs hotel, the lobby, which is right in the middle of Ashland at five o'clock in the afternoon or something. So I get there. And I see Henry in full makeup, sitting out in front of the hotel, waiting for Neil to come in. He was sitting on the ground. And when Neil, I was watching this, when Neil walked up, Henry asked him if he could spare some change. Because that's how Neil survived when he was out on the street. And Neil, as he always does with that, gave him a 20 and patted him on the shoulder and said, good luck, buddy. I hope everything goes well for you. Walked in. And then Henry walked in right behind him. And um, as Neil always says to me, and he never gave me back the 20. <laughs> the beautiful thing about these stories is you can just be a regular person. Or I believe that grief has the power to just really set us sailing in our spiritual journey. And so... Yeah, conversations with God. Neil's story is just incredible. And he couldn't have been more down on his luck. And through him came the most profound wisdom. I've I've read the books, I've listened to the audiobooks over and over and over, and and uh, and I've have watched the film, and it's just a favorite. So thank you for all the work you've done there. You're more than welcome. You know, there's a there's a moment in that movie, which I actually think is probably the most important moment in the entire movie. And it was something I didn't know if Neil would go along with or not. And I wasn't going to do it without his permission. But there is a moment when Neil first, the book first comes out and he starts talking to groups. He has just spoken in a bookstore and a woman has approached him and he processes something with her and he goes outside and his assistant comes out and says, are you okay? And he says, what if I'm making all this up? What, what if this is just me? What if I'm making all this up? And, you know, the, it goes on from that because Neil had told me that, that he had in the beginning a lot of questions about, is this me making this up so I can write a book or is this really happening? After a while, he became much more comfortable with that. And I, and I will tell you, that this communication I have with Lauren, I wondered that a lot myself. You know, when you are devastated, when you are completely heartbroken and grief stricken, can you make, could you make this up, Stephen? And all you're doing is trying to comfort yourself. And when people ask me that, they say, how do you know? Mm -hmm. My answer is, I don't. I can't 100% tell you that it is real. If you go up to the roof of your house and you drop a rock, it's going to fall down, not up. That's a rule. That's gravity. Okay. Mm -hmm. That, you know, this is about beliefs and I can't quote, prove it unquote. So I have to say to people, well, 99 and 999 tenths of a thousand, I'm certain, but you'll have to make up your own mind about that. And I think that also extends to how we see the afterlife. You know, in, in dreams, it is an, a magnificent painted world that Robin uh, wakes up into. Right. And there was a lot that went behind that. And there's a reason that the people who did those effects won the Academy Award that year for it, because it was just mind-boggling. And mm -hmm. our, our incredible production designer, Eugenio Zanetti, who also got nominated for Academy Award. But the whole conceit of that is that he went someplace he was comfortable 
because his wife painted, his wife was the curator at a museum. It was a way they conversed. They had paintings all over their house and it gave him handrails to move himself into the afterlife. And everything that he experienced were images from his own life. And one of the things that I believe strongly in this experience now is that the afterlife is not one size fits all. The life is certainly not, is it? No. <laughs> you know, very different people with very different beliefs. So why can't a person's afterlife experience reflect their beliefs in life? Mm -hmm. You know, if, if you believe it is going to be the traditional religious God, then it should be. And if you believe it's something different, then it should be that. And there, um, there are so many different, there's unlimited space. There's unlimited space. And I am assured by Lauren that what we've designed is what we are going to experience. I love that. I agree. And you said it earlier when you're out of your mind with grief, but into your heart. I think the same thing holds true, Stephen. When you read Conversations with God, when you read your book, there's a feeling, an emotion. There's something that resonates with our soul that this is the real deal. You know, it's not you. I mean, could be part you, part Lauren, could be part Neil, part God. But the truth just resonates to our soul that these are divine words. Let's listen. And I, I also think we're learning something now as we have been, you know, Sandra, if you go back, at least in America, this, what you might call spiritual movement, that is, has much in common with religion and with religious beliefs, but has much that is different, really didn't start in earnest in this country until the 50s, 1950s, at Esalen and at other places around the country, at Esalen and Big Sur, when these big thoughts started, and then all of that literature flooded into the world. You know, it's Wayne Dyer's work, it's Neil's work, it's James Redfield's work. I mean, all of that came into the world. Well, you haven't seen one of those since probably um, since Illusion. Ah, uh -huh. yes. And the reason for that is now the information's out there. Right. And I think people are beginning to resonate with that. And because of that, we are learning a different language and it is a language of the heart. You know, there was a movie many years ago that had a great line in it. The heart is a mysterious organ. It plays by its own rules. And to that, I would most humbly add that the brain does not understand because it is a different language. And learning to experience the language of the heart is challenging, it is exhilarating, it can be frustrating, but it is a new way of being. And I, I, I believe that for those who have these communications, and since we published the book and since people such as yourself have been kind enough to have me on to talk about it, the emails that I've been receiving from people and the responses to the book have been so gratifying because at the end of the day, the reason that Lauren and I really did this was to say to people, hey, you're not alone. Don't let people tell you you're crazy. You can talk about this with people. And if they don't want to hear it, then those aren't people who should be in, in your tribe around you. You know, I mean, that you, you shouldn't have to experience that. And I'm glad that we are giving some people some consensual validation that there are millions of us who are experiencing this. There, there are Facebook groups that are completely de dedicated to this, to people who have lost spouses physically, but are still communicating through the veil. Absolutely. So hoping it'll never be mainstream, which is a word I hate anyway, <laughs> because it usually means well, it really doesn't say much of anything, but it doesn't offend anybody. You know, I would rather make movies like I've made, like Somewhere in Time and What Dreams May Come, that people either love or hate. And I can tell you, 
they either love or hate both of those movies. There are very few people in the middle. And to me, that's art. Absolutely. You try to make everybody happy, you make no one happy. That's exactly right. Oh, what a great conversation this is. I'm thinking, where should we go next? Well, tell us a little bit about the book. Um, And what does it feel like when you write that you know it's Lauren, if that makes sense? Yeah, it it is. um, When we were actually writing the book, it was um, mostly in the second year after Lauren had transitioned. It was mostly in 2019. We actually finished it at the end of 2019, but for a lot of different reasons, didn't get it published until 2020. Um, It it was um, automatic writing. Mm -hmm. Um, When I was feeling Lauren and people said, you know, well, when you converse with Lauren, do you hear her voice? And my answer is no, (laughs) I don't because her voice was a part of her body and her body was cremated. It doesn't exist anymore. So I don't hear her voice, but I feel her words in my heart. And I know my wife. Um, We've been together a long time. I've had so many mediums (laughs) Um, and one in particular, a very dear friend who you may know, Alison Dubois, um, talk about this and it's like, you know, Stephen, you guys have been doing this for so long. You don't really need anybody to help you uh, communicate with each other. When that all happens, it, it, your life changes. It, 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 it is, it becomes the focus of your life. And this is the focus of my life. And I hope that when the time comes that I do reunion with Lauren, we will have left behind a marker for people who have these kinds of love, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a spouse. It can be a, a, a mother, a father, a child. I've gotten some heartrending emails from people who have lost children and then have reconnected with them on the other side of the veil. Um, and it's why when I said in the beginning, my whole life seems like it has been funneled into this as my final public facing project. You know, I have, no idea when I'm going to rejoin Lauren, only my soul knows that. But in the meantime, we have this, we have five amazing adult kids and four amazing grandchildren, hint, hint to a couple of daughters with more to come. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, it, 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 it's taken me almost four years to get to a place where I actually feel I'm a, kind of emotionally okay, Uh at least most of the time. But as most people know, grief, the best quote I ever heard about grief is that grief lasts as long as love does. Makes sense. That's the case. The more we love, the more it hurts. You know, we are connected. And when my dad passed, he was, we were so close. And it really took about four years before I felt like this, dark clouds started to let go. And I, I thought, Oh my gosh, I'm coming back. I mean, and grief is an automatic process that, you know, we can certainly do things to help ourselves, but we need to really be gentle on ourselves. And when the time comes, it really, it does let up. But until then, like you have made such a difference your movies your words your books I I don't even know all about the spiritual cinema and things that you've created there but they'll live on forever Stephen and people have that aha moment by watching a film not even expecting it and that has the power to set people on their spiritual journey it it does and I I'm I feel very fortunate Um, I have been gifted with all this. Um, This is something that I I knew I needed to do when I came here. And when I recognized what my life purpose was, the universe just created it for me. And um, I basically needed to stay out of the way. Um, Yes, getting dreams made after 20 years was 20 years of people telling me you can't Forgetting the fact that no one will ever go see this movie, Stephen, no one will ever know how to make it. Right. 
And for a long time, that was true until I found the guy, Vincent Ward, who's a brilliant director from New Zealand, who knew exactly how to make it. And he did. Incredible. Well, what should we talk about next? I'm on the edge of my seat here. I'm thinking, where do we go? Well, where do you want to go? There's a couple of things we can talk about because I, I know that that people are familiar with Somewhere in Time um, and, and familiar with what dreams may come. Um, I, I can tell you a couple of stories about please behind both of those films um, that uh, I always remember um, when it comes to dreams. You saw dreams, yes? Yes, many times. So. There is a sequence in dreams, just as he is about to reach Annie, where she is, where he comes into a vast plane of upturned faces. That's right. Yes. And he has to walk between them. And it's a really frightening scene. It is, it is a very bizarre scene. So the <laughs> our great production designer, Eugenio, walked into my office when we were in pre-production because he was doing all the sketches. And he said, have you seen the sketches for that yet? And I said, no. And he said, well, you need to. So he showed me the sketches. And I was like, what the hell is this? So I went into Vincent. And when a producer and a director have the right kind of relationship, it does not mean that they don't argue. Right. But they argue for the benefit of the film. And they don't make it personal between them. And Vincent and I had become really good friends because this was quite a rough undertaking to undergo. And we had become very close. I went into Vincent and I put the the uh, designs down on his desk and said, no blank way, Vincent, <laughs> no blank way. This is a love story. You're going to scare the hell out of people. Women are going to be offended by this. We don't want to frighten them. This is a tough enough story with two kids dying. We're not doing this. Well, that became a huge screaming battle to the point where we found out later all of the other people in the production office went out in the parking lot because they didn't want to hear the producer and director about to kill themselves. And we were going back and forth. And finally, Vincent said, Stephen, we are making a movie about a man who is willing to go through hell to retrieve the soul of his wife. He doesn't go through heck. And I cracked up and he cracked up. And within 30 seconds, we were both literally rolling on the floor, laughing. And needless to say, he won. Oh, great. Wow. Incredible. And what about Somewhere in Time? You have stories. What a beautiful movie that is. I'm going to rewatch it. I haven't seen it in years, but. All right. So Somewhere in Time. I'm just trying to think of, of where I should start with this story. So the book is very, that, that it was based on, is very different from the movie. Um, in, in the book, the main character has a fatal brain tumor from the beginning of the movie. So, you know, he's going to die. He supposedly dies of the brain tumor. Um, it was much more, it was much sadder. So we made a lot of changes. It's a very old fashioned movie. And it was designed to be that. It was designed to be a romantic melodrama from the 1940s when they still did that kind of thing, you know? And we, we, it was very intentional. The only way I ever got anybody to option a studio, to option the rights to, some, to Somewhere in Time, Bedtime Return at that time, was to find somebody that they wanted to be in business with. And there was a director who had done a great job for them on Jaws 2, Jano Swark, um, who wanted to make the movie. And I had helped my production company who that I was running at that time make Smokey and the Bandit, which is the first film I was ever involved with for Universal. And they gave us a development deal. And I know they never intended to make the movie. January 1979, very important date to remember, and I'll get back to later. The key moment comes in every movie when you get called into the production president's office and you find out whether you're gonna make your movie or not. 
So we went into this great guy, Ned Tennant's office, um, uh, uh, Jeannot and I, and he sat with us and he said, you know, I love you guys. At which point I knew we were dead, you know, because the biggest butt was it's about on to its come. way. Yeah. You know, and I said, what if we get Chris Reeve? Now, I hadn't thought about that until I was desperate in that moment. And the reason it was such a ridiculous suggestion is because the month before Superman one, it opened. Right. And Chris was the hottest actor in the world. Absolutely. Superman. And he was getting offers of three, four, five million dollars, which in 1978 was a whole, a whole lot of money for an actor. Today, it's a lot more than that. And our whole budget was five million dollars. So as soon as I said it, I regretted it. And I tried to wheedle back and say, well, you know, what if we get this? What if we get this? What and I thought Janot was going to kill me. He was looking darts at me. And Ned said, now there's an idea, Stephen. I'll tell you right now, you go get Chris Reed. We'll make this movie. And I was like, well, what if, what if, what if not? And he said, well, you know what? Then don't come back. So <laughs> Janot and I walk out of the office and there was, for those that remember Laurel and Hardy, there was a moment where he turned to me and he said, well, another revolting development you got us into. And he said, what are we going to do? And I said, well, I'll call his agent. So I called his agent, Chris's agent. He laughed in my face. He said, I know that script. He's never going to do that script. And by the way, your whole budget is basically just barely enough to pay him. So no. And I said to the agent, at least show him the script. That's your job. And he said, I'm not showing him the script. Do whatever the hell you want. So Janot said, what are we going to do? We're driving on Sunset Boulevard in West Los Angeles. And I said, well, let's get a star map. And he's like, what? Now, for those who have never visited West LA, there are people standing on street corners selling maps to the stars' homes. That's right. And I grew up in LA and I know that those maps are basically fiction because you, how are you, if you go buy a house and say, well, Bruce Willis lives there. Well, unless Bruce is out mowing the lawn, how do you know if Bruce Willis lives there? So let's just say they don't have a lot of credibility. And I said, what else are we going to do? Who knows? So we get this star map and it lists Chris with a house in the Hollywood Hills. And I said, okay, let's go. And he said, what do you mean? Let's go. And I said, let's just go to the house. He said, that's ridiculous. And I said, yeah, but we're desperate. And what's the worst he can do? Not be home, slam the door in our face, whatever. So we go to the house and Janot is just muttering all the way up to the door. We knock on the door and sure enough, Chris answers the door. Which I most certainly did not expect. (laughs) No. <laughs> and Superman himself. And Chris is Chris is such a great guy. I mean, God, what a wonderful, wonderful person. And he said, Hey guys, what can I do for you? So I looked at him and I said, Well, I'm a producer, which by the way wasn't true yet, because that was going to be my first movie as a producer. I- I'm a producer, he's a director. We have a movie at Universal called Somewhere in Time that we want you to star in. And I wanted to get you the script, but your agent wouldn't send it to you. Thank God I said that. Because as soon as I said that, he said, oh, he did, huh? Mm -hmm. You have one with you? I said, in the car. So I ran back, got it, gave it to him. He said, is your phone number on here? And I said, he said, I'll call you tomorrow morning. So Jeannot and I go home, have a sleepless night. Meet up again the next day when Chris calls and says, come to the house. And we went to the house and he let us in and we sat down and he said, guys, I've got two things to tell you. This is going to be my next movie. And I just fired my agent. Wow. (laughs) And, And his agent never spoke to me again for a very good reason. And we started talking about it. And at one point I said to him, look, here's the the 600-pound the, the gorilla in the room that I haven't mentioned yet, but I'm going to do it anyway. I know how much you're getting is offers. We only have at most $500,000. Now, that's a lot of money, but to an actor that's being offered $5 million, 
-hmm. It's not a lot of money. And he said, fine, no problem. I want to make this movie. This is a perfect movie for me to make after Superman. Well, some months later, he also told me that his agent the day before we showed up had sent him a script where he was going to play a Viking, not a football player Viking, a Viking with horn on his head. Uh-huh. Chris said, I had a vision of me with those gourd. And I said, nope, I'm not doing that. And our movie showed up and we got it made. And that's how Somewhere in Time came about. Wow. So right now on our show, we're getting some big messages here. Follow your dreams without risk, big risk. There's no rewards. Absolutely. Follow your heart. Trust. So much more than people bargain for when they tuned in today. One of my favorite, one of my favorite quotes from a movie in the 40s. The only people who accomplish the impossible. No, only fools accomplish the impossible because they're the only ones who try. That's good. That's really good. And so we did. You know, we did. And uh, it was an incredible, I mean, there's a whole story about Jane getting involved too. But anyway, those are somewhere in time and what dreams may come stories. Oh, now you've worked with a lot of people that are no longer walking planet Earth. Um, yeah, it wasn't something I did. No, it just, it's interesting because, you know, it, you're still affiliated, I'm sure, with lots of people. And yeah. is it easy to just be open talking about your belief in the afterlife? I'm sorry? Is it easy to just be open with people in your community about the afterlife? In the film community, mm -hmm. I was always very uh, careful about how I discussed that um, because they don't get it at all uh, in, the, in, the, in the formal Hollywood film community. Um, they don't get that at all. It's actually very th uh, threatening and frightening to them um, because it's something that they don't understand and they can't control. And there are... <laughs> What's that old saying? There are no atheists in foxholes. Well, there are no spiritual people running studios. And so I had to be careful about that for a while, but I've been gone from LA for 20 years. Mm -hmm. um, when we started operating the spiritual cinema circle, I was already living in Oregon. Um, now, honestly, at this stage in my life, um, I have dear friends from childhood who don't believe a word of this but they love me yeah. and we don't talk about it. You know, we don't talk about it because I know they don't believe a word of it and I know they're rooting for me and that's perfectly fine. You know what? <laughs> I'll tell you what else this reminds me of. I saw a meme recently that said, if you want to save money on Christmas presents this year, talk about politics at Thanksgiving. <laughs> so <laughs> This is a little bit like that. You know, you, oh. in Hollywood, you don't get into a discussion of spirituality or else, you know, it'll be to get him out of my Rolodex, tell the guard if he ever shows up again, shoot him on sight. Um, so it's okay. You know, it's really okay. And, and the people who are closest to me know that. And it's also comforting for me that our kids and our close friends know that when the time comes that I do shuffle off this mortal coil, mm -hmm. that I will be with Lauren. And um, I, I think that also will be comforting to them um, until we come back and scare the heck out of them, which some of them we're going to. <laughs> I think we have to. You know, yeah, people, I think, have an interest in this. But I think our ego is such that... It, it makes a big difference what people think of us. So I found out even when my book came out, I was so afraid to let people know in my life that this was my interest. And this is, I published this book. I thought, oh, I'd lose friends and family, but the opposite happened. There's somebody, always somebody who's had some kind of a mysterious experience, whether it's knowing the phone's going to ring and who it's going to be or saying something at the same time as someone else, or, you know, people have asked themselves the big question of what lies beyond and then they may not do anything about it but if they're got a loved one who's passed they start asking these big questions so i think more people than not are interested but it's just another moment where we just we don't push but i think you can put your feelers out there with people and um yeah if they're interested you share
when, when we were researching the book, we found this study at the University of Milan in Italy, which is kind of like the Stanford University of, of uh, Italy, where they had done a study, um, an extensive one, over a lot of time with a lot of people, of people who had, um, we'll say, lost loved ones. And they found that over 60% of them said that they had an experience with that departed loved one, Mm -hmm. but they were afraid to talk about it because they thought that people would think they were crazy and not want to be around them anymore. Um, I think that stigma is beginning to lessen. For instance, if you are somebody that has believed in the existence of UFOs forever, Let's say you're 70 years old and you've believed in them since you were a kid. For a lot of those years, people would have been, oh, yeah, he's one of those. With all the stuff that's coming out now from the Navy and the Army and the Air Force and everything else about UFOs and showing us the videos of them and saying these are Navy pilots, they know they're not of this earth. I think today, if you believe in UFOs, you're not going to be looked upon as crazy as you did 20, 30, 30 years ago. And I think people like you and I, who are doing this kind of work, are helping to set the groundwork for the future so that people feel more comfortable talking about these things. Oh, I agree. And as far as UFOs go, how could we on this one little planet of Earth know everything that's happening in an endless universe? And the same thing holds true with life after death. I don't think our human minds are meant to get the bigger picture. I've interviewed so many people who have had near-death experiences, and they can't put into words. We don't have the words of the experiences. No, it's we so, so much bigger. So um, even there's a film called What the Bleep Do We Know? Did you ever watch that? Just oh, yes. I many did. times. But just getting down to our tiniest little molecule and atom within it, all we are is invisible vibrating energy. And this is science. This is not <laughs> spiritual stuff. This is this is real. So I mean that's mind blowing. Un- never ending universe, mind blowing. The universe within us, mind blowing. So we're not meant to know the big picture, but we can follow our heart. Tell us a little bit more about the book because I would love people to pick up a copy and just know what a little bit more about it and um Maybe okay, a little bit well, more of your story. If you want to know more about it, you can go to our website, which okay. is very simply whatdreamshavecome.com. Whatdreamshavecome.com. And there you can get a, a, a brief description of the book. You can also get the link to Amazon. The book is uh, available for sale exclusively on Amazon because we self published it through Amazon, which is something that I am so thrilled that we did. Um, there was a necessity to it because I've been around this industry a long time and I knew there was no way in the world that we were going to get a publisher that we would actually want to put their weight behind this book. This is not a mainstream book. It's just not. So we really wanted to have that um, ability to decide what was going to happen with the book ourselves. We put it on Amazon. I'm so glad we did because for people that have been thinking about that, boy, I would suggest you should because you get a much bigger royalty from the books and they're in one place that you can send people to. And Amazon is fantastic about reporting. They report every day. You know, this is what's happened. This is what's not happened. And uh, you don't have to give up control to anybody else and you're not dependent on anybody else. So we, we did that. And I'm really, really glad we did. Um, I hope people will take a look at the website and we'll take a look at the book. Um, when you go to the website and also in the book, there is an email address for me because I want I wanted and want people to have a way of contacting me directly. And I want to say to your audience, what I've said to everyone else and to everybody that emails me, there's only one person that has access to that email. It's me. I don't have an assistant. Okay. So if I did, they wouldn't be reading it either. These are very intimate details for people that I want to assure you that I will be the only person that reads it. No one else will ever see it. And I hope that people will share their experiences with me, which 
has certainly been happening, particularly these last few weeks when I've been actually doing um, more interviews um, like this to actually talk about the book. Um, at the end of the book, too, we also have a, a list of movies that are we consider to be very spiritual uh, gateway movies uh, mm -hmm. for people to see that have fabulous messages in them. Uh, the book itself um, is the story that I just told you with more detail of how Lauren first made contact, what our contacts were like. But a lot of the book is also verbatim conversations that Lauren and I had over various, various subjects while we were writing the book. And um, I sometimes went in and did a little bit of editing and revision on some of my stuff. I never revised hers. Um, you know, what, what you read there is exactly what I got from Lauren. And uh, people will also see that she has a wonderful sense of humor. Um, we spent a lot of time in our marriage, and I'm sure this is true in a lot of marriages, um, laughing, mostly at me. <laughs> um, and it was um, our great joy. It continues when she's on, now that she's on the other side of the veil. Um, one day, I, and it's, this is in the book, but you'll see some of her humor. One day I, I was like, honey, I feel horrible. I look horrible. This is really rough. And she says, John, I'm really sorry to hear that. I look great. <laughs> <laughs> we don't lose our sense of humor. No. And, 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 you know, it's okay. You know, what is that, that line uh, Voltaire um, once said, God is a comedian playing to an audience that's afraid to laugh. Oh yeah. And it's such a great line. Of course, we should be able to laugh at these things and to have fun with them. And, um, and I, I must say, I know when she's here, and I've been very comforted. Uh, people have gotten in touch with me when they heard me say this um, uh, uh, or read that I said it someplace, that uh, it's really extraordinary that when you get into these moments, your heart and your mind expand. And when Lauren is here, and I haven't really talked about this except maybe in the last week. So you're actually the second person I've said this to. There is a change in the density of the air. And I yawn so intensely. So, yeah, I can tell. I, I know it. <laughs> Go ahead. Right? Mm -hmm. Right? I mean, it happens. I, and, and there are other things. There's, a, there's another signal that we have when she's here. Um, and sometimes I've talked about that and I've said, well, when she's here and then she'll say to me in a quiet moment, honey, that's when you, I want you to know I'm there. Uh, sometimes it's just a drive-by. So if you have those experiences, you're not alone. I've done my share of automatic writing. And sometimes with the yawns, they're yawns like one after another, after another, after another, that no human being would ever do. So, I mean, that's definitely a sign. But I've had times that I've just said a loving prayer. Is there any words for me, whether it's my own soul, whether it's my dad or someone? And I sit either with a piece of paper and a pen or my fingers at the keyboard. And literally the, a word will come into my mind and I write it. But I'm not paying attention to what I'm writing. It's just as they come, I, I type it. And it's interesting, Stephen, because I read them back. And again, the heart knows I'm filled with goosebumps. Sometimes there's a, a poem. Sometimes it's just a beautiful story. There's been words that I have written that I didn't even know were words. I had to look them up in the dictionary. No one can tell me that that was just my imagination and I made it up there's, we each have, we're all tapped into the divine. And I think it's beautiful that you and Lauren have written this book. Mm, I'm happy. Can you tell? It's it really been a, it's been a wonderful experience. And I, I, I do want to say uh, to your audience that mm -hmm. we wrote this book for you. If you've had somebody that is so close to you, that is now on the other side of the veil that there are ways to be able to communicate. Um, we also wrote it for people who have that communication. 
and just have been keeping it so closely held to themselves because they're afraid of what other people will think. Um, I, I can tell you if I was doing this kind of interview on one of the cable news channels, I would be torn to pieces. Right. Yeah. But what you will find is that the people you wind up talking to and the people who want to talk to you are going to be nothing but supportive because a lot of people don't talk about this, but a whole lot of people have experienced it and are experiencing it now and will experience it in the future as the veil gets thinner. Yeah, and it will. And I do believe there's a mighty unseen force that will lead people to either watch what we're creating right now. I remember a gentleman told me an amazing story. Actually, two, two stories just come to my mind. This gentleman had a child who passed three years old and was devastated, had never used the podcast app on his phone and just asked Siri to play some news. And what popped up was an episode of my We Don't Die Radio. Another woman whose son had passed, she walked into her house. You know how sometimes they can turn on and off the television? Well, her television was on. YouTube was playing, so it was a smart TV. And it was one of the episodes of my Sunday gathering where we do medium demonstrations. Now. She never even heard of me or that. So we can trust that there's an unseen world at play here. And for our friends that are listening to this or are viewing it, our loved ones work through our imagination. They work through our heart. So when you have a shared memory, when you have that feeling, it's so easy for the mind to just brush it off that it's our imagination. But yes, that's how they communicate. I love, Stephen, that you're keeping the relationship alive, and you will eternally. You know, she'll be the first one to greet you with big old hug and kiss. Not too soon. I think you still have some work to do. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. <laughs> and and you know, look, I'm, I'm, I believe that our souls basically know when we're going to depart this plane, when we arrive at this plane. I believe that our lives have that trajectory. I have no idea what that date is. I can't think of anything more frightening than knowing that date. Be awful. Goodness, would I not want to ever know that. But um, while I'm still here, I do know that I have things to do. And um, part of it is being a dad um, and um, and a stepfather and uh, a grandfather. Yes. Uh, and a friend. Um, and someone walking the earth. And I, I just want people to be able to embrace love wherever they can find it. And if your love is on the other side, you can find a way to connect with that person. And when you do, it is, it is magical beyond words. Oh, I'm so happy. You can tell. <laughs> Stephen, thank you so much for being our guest today. You are more than welcome, Sandra. I'm I'm sorry if I talked a little too much. I have a tendency to do that. Um, what it's all about. People hear me enough. <laughs> you create a very comfortable space. So um, uh, it reminds me, um, Frank Sinatra at, at one time was talking about Sammy Davis Jr. And Frank said, he is such a ham that when he goes home after a show late at night, three in the morning, opens the refrigerator, the light comes on and he does 20 minutes. <laughs> That's funny. We can never lose our sense of humor. We have to be us. We do. There's millions of other people that are them, but just be yourself. Follow your passion, my friends, whatever that may be. Never Trust give Never give up. Trust that your loved ones are around. They are. They really are. So what dreams have come.com, your site. Yes. And what else do we want to share here? Just just some final things. Oh, go ahead, Stephen. Uh, what I was going to say is that um, uh, one of the people who connected with me uh, over the last couple of days uh, sent me a wonderful, wonderful quote from um, a man named Robert Monroe, who you may know of. Mm -hmm. Monroe um, Institute. 
And it's a quote that I had never heard before that um, this person that wrote to me had heard me talk about um, the way we had designed our afterlife. And it was a very specific thing. And um, somebody once asked me, well, but how can you do that if you don't know what it's like on the other side? I mean, and my answer to that is because this is what we know. And however it gets translated, when, when you go to the other side, it gets translated, but this is what we know now. And this is what we feel. And, and I have a very strong indication from Lauren that um, she's already, that she's already there. And um, it is an extraordinary feeling when you can actually know that on the other side, you are going to be in that reality. And the quote that um, I, I heard from Robert Monroe was, yes, there are islands in the afterlife, islands of consensual realities. And I thought, what an amazing phrase that if enough people have a vision of that reality, it becomes created and people can live within it. And all I can tell you is number one, I have absolutely no idea if that's true, but I sure hope it is. <laughs> well, we'll meet up there, I'm sure. Um, I, it's gonna be beyond, I think, what anyone can imagine, really. Yeah, what I understand as well. Yeah, we've got nothing to fear. We do have a life to live here, though. And I think yes. our education for the soul, experiences. I mean, you're not the same person you were many, many years ago. It's just, I don't understand the whole picture. But while we're here, we really need to get our money's worth out of life. We don't have the language for it. Um, as you said about other things, you know, it's the language of feeling, you know, I can't express what I feel. Well, yeah, because words don't do that. Feelings do that. You know, the feelings express what the word, if it was in the brain, coming from the brain, it would be words. If it's from the heart, it's coming in feelings. Well, I'm excited when we get there. It's said that our life here is just a, a thread in the fabric of our soul. There's so much we can't even begin to comprehend. That is very true. Oh. And Lauren and I have been together in a whole lot of other lifetimes that we know. We knew that when she was still physical. Um, we've been together a lot. And um, I look forward to the time when we are reunited, but only when it is supposed to be. Right. Well, I thank you for spending this hour with us, with your stories, with Lauren, your passion, and so much more. What a delight. Thank you so much, Sandra. It was great, 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 great fun. As I said, you create a, a really comfortable space for somebody to speak from their heart. And um, I hope that uh, your viewers and your listeners um, enjoy this and get something from it. And um, maybe even if it's just a little shred of hope that you didn't have before, if it really affects at least one or two people, then we have done our job for today. Absolutely. And we've got some movies to watch as well. So yes. I'm interested. In yeah, there's a bunch of movies in the book that a bunch of, yeah, I, my guess is a number of people haven't heard of these movies. Mm -hmm. Kind of came and went. Um, but they are, movies present a, an extraordinary vision of who we may be and what may be coming after this. And there are a lot of them that do that. So um, I hope you'll have some fun with some of those movies. Oh, thanks so much. What dreams have come.com is the website. And of course, that's the name of the book as well. So for our listeners or our viewers, thank you for being with Stephen and I today. It's just, yeah, my heart is just warm and fuzzy and filled with love. So you can go to we don't die.com and check out a ton more episodes if you like. Also, there's a link there for our Sunday gatherings. Come join us. It's free. They're inspirational. They make a difference. And of course, there's a medium demonstration. And you never know if your loved one will come through. We have a wonderful Facebook group. Um, if you scroll down to the bottom of wedontdie.com, it says you can read a few free chat chapters of my book, but the truth is it's the entire book. It's there. And if you're an audiobook person, if you go to the store page, use coupon code free and you get a free copy of my audiobook. Chapter 10 is how to survive grief. 
beneath everything that I do is really to impact those that are experiencing grief. I don't think there's any pain worse that we can experience. So anything I can do to help you on your journey and to believe that your loved ones are still around, I'm going to do that. Absolutely. So that's wedontdie.com. So in closing, my name is Sandra Champlain. I'm always so happy to be your host on We Don't Die Radio. I do believe that life is an education for the soul and that your life here on earth is important. So we're going into the holiday times. We're recording this in November of 2021. It can be a very tough time, but if you watch positive things like some great spiritual movies, read good books, keep yourself talking to people that speak the same language and set a place at your holiday table for your loved one. They are still around. I've seen it on all of our demonstrations that our loved ones have jobs to do in the unseen world. They do. They're not always around us. You have your privacy, but they're only a breath, a thought, a heartbeat away. And they're with us. They really are. So I want to thank you for listening or for viewing and we'll see you soon. 